we have Renaissance man Dan Childs on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Renew Missouri Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri. Also joining us from his undisclosed location is producer running the boards, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip. Hey, how's it going, James? Well, great. Uh, I can't hardly believe that in the 90-some episodes we've been doing of this podcast that our our guest today has not uh, christened himself as a Renew Guru. He is a businessman, an inventor, an environmentalist, a, form, a reform politician, right. and he is my boss. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the Renew Missouri board, uh, Dan Childs. Hello, hey, James. Dan. Hello, James and Philip. How are you guys today? <laughs> You're not supposed to acknowledge Philip. He's like, he's just the. Oh, he's <laughs> such a capable guy. He deserves credit. He, he does. He does. He deserves to have his own podcast. Maybe we'll do that someday. <laughs> Thank um, you, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Your, your raise is in the mail, Philip. Um, so, Dan, Dan, Dan did, I, did I capture the essence of your biography well enough? Um, I think so. I, I think that I've led an eclectic life and it's been really interesting and it's getting more interesting by the day. My time with Renew Missouri has been one of the pinnacles of my career. I'm really excited about being part of this effort and seeing the amazing results. That How's is that really plug. That's that is lovely of you to say. I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've been, I mean, like when I say reform politician, you were on the Springfield City Council for um was that uh, 07 to 13? Am I to get no, the time wrong? 11. That's all they would have of me. And oh, I will say the pinnacle of that career was my tenure as mayor pro tem of Springfield, Missouri. You were the mayor pro tem. You were the number That's two guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, well, like, I'm kind of just curious. And we don't think we've ever had a city council member on here. Or maybe we have. I mean, how would you ex- describe that experience of being on the city council there in Springfield? I thought it was a lot of suffering. It's more work than you realize. I mean, it's not paid and you have to wear nice clothes and you have your dry cleaner bills and you drive all over town and there's an event every single day if you'll take it. But at the same time, it's a great way to get to know your town. You see places you didn't know existed and to hear everybody's point of view. And I really enjoyed it. I, I thought sometimes people get confused about their role. I mean, their role is to represent the people in the barbershop, walking their dog, people who are at the mall, people who are playing golf, who are cranky about stuff. And yes. so it's not there to just warm a chair. You're there to make sure that the people who don't normally get heard from are heard from. And you were good at it. You you took on a lot of really controversial issues that were important to people. And sometimes that's hard to do in that role, too. Yes, I was uh, asked to leave city council several times by aggrieved parties, but I stayed on. <laughs> Uh, you were, I mean, I don't think you weren't, you were, you had a, you were a zone councilman, I believe. Or no, no, I was at large. That, that, at that large. represented the entire city at the time. So you represented me when I lived there. Yes. Um, and right. we also worked together on a particularly contentious issue, trying to ban coal tar sealant in uh, Springfield, which got, man, got really out of hand. <laughs> Sure did, James. But I, I think your work was was excellent because you guys started this thing. You you had, you passed the ball to us that said, uh, by the way, you're pouring toxic coal tar on parking lots of playgrounds 
in churches and hospitals and schools. And that was the case at the time. I will say since then, although that ban has not been put in place because of your work, James. Yeah. And a little bit of effort by me. Yes. We managed to convince the major institutions in Springfield to stop pouring toxic waste on their parking lots. So that's yeah. major hospitals, MSU, City yep. of Springfield, Green County, and so on. So yeah. good job. Yeah, well, and I should note, I did that through my role on the Environmental Advisory Board for the City of Springfield and Green County. Right. So I've been I've been pestering people and being a thorn in the side of the powerful uh, well <laughs> before I got paid to do it here. Um <laughs> So, but now you don't live in the city of Springfield anymore. You live out in the country, uh, out That's by right. Bodark. That's right. This is a personal experiment. I mean, we, we have the prettiest place in the world. It's just mm -hmm. west of Springfield. We are in the Ozark Highlands, 46 inches of rain a year. There's streams, there's rivers, it's, there's amazing trees. I mean, it's a big secret, so don't tell anybody. No, I won't tell anybody. I mean, it is, I mean, I always say, like, I think, the Ozarks is beautiful. I wish I liked some of the people there better, but yeah. well, uh, I get that. Yeah, but you, like every, every time someone says, "Oh, let's let's solve the climate crisis by planting trees," I like to raise my hand and go, "You know, I have personally planted thousands of trees, and it's probably more work than you think it is." <laughs> it, it is, and you're also like restoring a river. Yes. Yeah, like the sock. Am I saying is that's right? That that we have a section of the Sock River, and we're busy doing a a restoration of it, which benefits, I'll, I'll mention this, the city of Springfield, because the, the river flows north at this point, yep. goes to Stockton Lake. That water is pumped back to Springfield and really hundreds of thousands of people use this water. So my perspective is that the cleaner it is when it gets to the lake, the better for the people drinking it. And you mean by you're trying to prevent, you're trying to like kind of undo like erosion and other corrosive. Exactly. Impact. So, so may, people may not realize it when they see thousands of cattle in their pristine stream, but the number one source of pollution in a stream is sediment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's erosion. And right. so anything you can do to mitigate that means that the topsoil that you own stays on your property and the repairing corridor. That so you're, you're, you're doing this kind of, um, you're doing this, and we could probably do a whole podcast on the restoration efforts because that seems like that is not a very easy job either. No, no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, so in addition to all of that, you're also running, I mean, we're going to do a plug for your business. You're still working on your um, bee fostering. So my, my daughter and I started a small manufacturing company called Bee Foster, where we make native bee nurseries. And I'll just point out that they are critical to 30 to 40% of our food supply, including everything that people enjoy, like cantaloupes and blueberries, or just a couple. And there are eight states in the United States where bumblebees, which are the primary workforce in this collection of native bees, eight states in the United States that, that these bumblebees are extinct. Wow. And it's coming this way. So it, they don't get a lot of attention, but they're critical to our food supply. So yeah, we started a little company to to make these little nurseries and we sell them all over the country. And how would someone, I, I'll give you the plug again, but how to information. <laughs> Thank you, James. Yes. <laughs> Bfoster.com. But that's not our only effort. I'm, I'm a manufacturer by background. That's my, yes. my stock and trade. And so we're also designing a habitat for native turtles, lake turtles, they're called. And that's in process. And, and in pursuit of that, I guess I've, I'm on my 13th patent for making and building stuff. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's what happens when you're this old. 
<laughs> I, I will tell you, I could probably live to be 300 and I won't have 13. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, yeah, you're kind of a guy who looks, you're, you're, you're a guy who looks at technology, looks at innovation. That's kind of something that you've done in your career. Yes. And one of the things that you and I talk about in some of our multiple conversations we have, uh, you've kind of developed an interest in a new technology. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to have you on here to talk about, like the kind of um, this pitch, this work you've been doing on direct air capture, DAC for our TLA fans out there, those three letter <laughs> acronyms we love so much. Um, well, so tell me, like, so like this concept, this technology, I'm trying to want to educate people on this podcast about it. Uh, what is it? What does it do? Kind of give us a rundown of the concept. So by way of background, what yes. Renew Missouri does for all the people that are just new to this podcast is an astonishing job of talking sense to people about the future that is better than it is today. A better future uses renewable energy because as we now know, renewable energy is cheaper and works better, especially yes. when you couple it with technology that gets over the, the lags and the, when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine and so forth. But we can deal with that. And we can basically make a huge part of our economy based on renewable energy to the benefit of everybody that lives in this country. Fine. And that's a noble goal. And that's what you do every day, James. And that's why you've earned the respect of practically everybody in the state who sees you doing this on a daily basis. But, but my point, the sad thing for me to point out at this t- time, James, is that it's not enough. It's not enough because sure. yeah. carbon that I burned today when I was weed eating my, my raised bed garden that carbon from that engine goes into the air and will be there for approximately 5,000 years. So as much effort as we are making and much progress at putting together renewable portfolios across the world and increasing our exposure and our use of renewables, it's not enough because the carbon we're dumping in the air today will be there. So at some point, my prediction is that when we come to our senses, so senses that you, James, and you, Philip, and others, have already arrived at, it's just going to be too late. And at that point, we simply have to clean up the mess that's been created. Now, the number to keep in mind here, James, is 418. 418 is the number of parts per million carbon in the atmosphere. And that's not much, but it's enough to tip the climate of the planet into a very, very poor state of affairs. As we're already seeing, the wildfires, the flooding, the tornadoes, the invasion of bugs, the de- yeah. decline in species, all of those things are all related to climate change because we're, we're messing with, with tradition, the tradition that plants and animals have built over millennia, over millions of years to accommodate their own ecosystem and to work together. All that's being disrupted. Mm-hmm. And to fix it, we simply have to start pulling the carbon out of the air. So you mentioned in your introduction that it's new technology and maybe, but my argument would be we've been doing this since World War I where oh. submarines, they get uh, an overload of CO2 because of the, the 50 guys stuck in a submarine all breathing, loads the atmosphere with excessive CO2. So they have been able to remove that since then and still do on submarines. So we know how to do this. And the trick is not removing the CO2 from the air. That's not hard. What do you do with it afterwards? And that's where the yeah. technology is really evolving. And if you're if you're looking back 10 years and you see where batteries were 10 years ago, so we so it's, we go, oh, batteries are so important to mitigating the ups and downs of renewable energy. Yes, 
But where are they? Well, 10 years ago, they were in laboratories. And today, they're being introduced to the marketplace to the benefit of everybody. And the same is true of, of DAC, direct air capture, that we are in laboratories all across the world figuring out what do we do with carbon? And I'll just point out carbon is a very practical little atom, right? Because you're made out of it. I'm made out of it. Yep. Practically everything of use and value in this world that we have, we're able to manipulate or build or engineer has a carbon component to it. And so right now in laboratories, when they strip the, the CO2 from the atmosphere, atmosphere, they're building all kinds of cool stuff with it, like jet fuel and plastics and concrete blocks. And the other day I saw a company that was building vodka <laughs> with excess pollution from CO2. What so was it, wait, was it like fermented carbon? I, how did, I mean, how, I don't know. I, I, I don't well, think wait, so. I, wait, I've got uh, a million questions. I know, I know, I know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but they're, okay. but they're awfully excited about it. Probably you had a big party. Carbon infused <laughs> vodka or carbon oh i don't know it okay. sounds terrible doesn't it maybe let's call them diamonds diamond infused diamond. okay i want to go back to world war one really fast um, okay okay yes, i was alive well, then i was running around as just a youngster <laughs> i'm old by the way uh dan <laughs> come on all right so you have to be true in this podcast james is that a requirement uh, well, I like to be uh, educational and informative and to be fact-based, yes. But okay. yeah, I think we all know that you weren't running around during World War I. Um, so you you say you're talking about in in, in this in submarines where it's tight and it's cramped. You got a lot of people in there breathing right. air. They were able to take carbon out of the air. Now, okay, how does it work at that level? I mean, how does – like what kind of device does it take to – because I'm just trying to wrap my head around this technology. Like, what does it do and how does it do that? Like, let's start with the with the submarine, because that seems easier than talking about, like, the wide open air. How does that work? You know, even a better example, James, now that we're just chit-chatting about this, is did you see yeah. that? And I know you love movies. Did you see I, that movie, Apollo 13? I did. You remember the crisis? Yeah. That they they did their out. CO2. Uh, oh, that's right. Their CO2. Um, <laughs> Converter wasn't working, right? They were going to like poison right. themselves. That's exactly yeah. right. They had to duct tape together a series of spare parts and stuff that the engineers talked them through, and they were able to reduce the CO2 level so they wouldn't die when they were making their trip back to the Earth. So is it just a yeah. filter? Is it a filter well, then? Here, it's like two things. You you extract, you, you pass the air through this thing, and it's got something in it that is attracted to carbon or CO2, and it's like a chemical component. And so once it's full of CO2, then you have to heat it or drive off the CO2 someplace. So it's like, it's a process, right? But there are things that are uh, chemical components that are attracted to CO2, and that's really the simplicity of it. It's not a complicated process. So it's, there's some sort of material or like some sort of there's something that attracts the CO2 to this device that then traps it. Is that, that's what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I would say more extracts it because what extracts you end up with is you've got this big fans, they're turning, the air is going through the fans. And then by the time you extract the CO2, you have contained it in some fashion. For example, you might put it in a pipeline and then you would shove it up someplace to a stable rock formation. And that's what we do today, actually. Uh, and, and the biggest use of CO2 extraction right now is in oil fields because they'll extract CO2 from 
like power plants, right? Because there's a lot of CO2 coming off a power plant. And then they will shove that CO2 back into the ground and use it for fracking. And the other yeah. major use for it today is frankly the sodas that we drink and food products. So, yeah, I mean, we've been using it for a long time. And this, this new technology is simply a better way of saying, look, if you've got a lot of renewable energy available to you, do something creative with it. Make jet fuel. Because all of us who fly jets, faces, I, I feel guilty getting in a jet. And I haven't done it for a while. But every time I did, I thought, oh, my God, I'm leaving behind carbon for my grandchildren to deal with. So that's why it's an interesting technology. It's happening. And there's many implications for why, why we need to continue with this. Um, okay, so... Okay, got it. Uh, so, I mean, basically, um, okay, now I think the Apollo 13 thing makes more sense to me now because I remember that story. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's say now we take this uh, out into the world, out into like something that's not a cramped space, like a space, like a, like a, like a lunar mission or a satellite or a submarine. Uh, how does it, I mean, so does it, is the same concept there that it just, it is something that like kind of extracts this from the, from the air? Yeah. And it just, okay. So how far can that go for like a device that like right now, like what's the technology, like how much can it extract? How far into the air can it go? This, this sounds like an idiot asking this question, but like, <laughs> this is really something like, I, I think about like when I think about okay, I've got like let's say I got this big device uh, somewhere. I mean, is there like a good place? Is there like a better place than others to put something like this? Do they Darn know? Good question. Darn good question. And, and okay. yes, the, the the answer is yes to that because really the atmosphere is more or less liberally stirred and distributed around the world. So you could literally put one of these devices any place you wanted. And the first couple, the first one that I'm familiar with. Is, is in Iceland, is working today. Why Iceland? Well, it's not just the climate or the pretty girls, it's because they have unlimited availability of, of geothermal energy. So all of this technology, James, and the reason that I think your interest and my interest coincide in this regard is because it all has to be driven by renewable energy. You can't burn coal to extract carbon from the atmosphere. So well, you can put true. these things any place, but the key is, you have to put these facilities where you have abundant sources of renewable energy. It has to be solar. It has to be wind. It has to be geothermal. I mean, what else? You know, there's waves. There's all kinds of interesting energy. And, and that is why there are groups competing around the world for these facilities because they are, in a sense, part of the largest industrial expansion since World War II. It's a huge effort. These facilities look like power plants. And in a sense, they are. Mm -hmm. They're great, big, complicated, really chemical factories is, is what, they've, what they've become. And so it's a huge job creator. Oh, my gosh. You're talking about trucking companies and erection companies and chemical companies and engineering and steel erectors and piping guys and valves. I mean, it's just huge. And so Yes, you can put them any place. It doesn't matter, but you better have access to cheap long-term contracts for renewable energy, which is why you and I have talked about this as an exciting opportunity for our region, because we are perched right on the edge of the Great Plains. And the Great Plains is someplace that Saudi Arabia wished they had. I mean, all they've got is oil. 
And someday when that oil is gone, they've got nothing but sand. We, on the other hand, have an unquenchable source of wind and solar just right to the west of us, known as the Great Plains of America. Yeah. And a lot of wind and solar penetration in Western Missouri, not very far from yeah, where you live. Exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, so like right now you say that there are, um, that there are these kind of, uh, that we have systems like this set up in other, like Iceland as an example. I mean, how much, I mean, how much is it able, I, I don't even know how to measure carbon in the air. Like I'm trying to think about like asking. Four eighteen. That's the number. Four, okay. Because. I think our mutual long lost friend, I I, th- I don't know if you knew him very well or not. Tommy Beaker once explained to me that like the yes. parts per million, if you imagine a million golf balls somewhere <laughs> that like that are white, but then there's like 418 of them are red, <laughs> right? Is That's, that kind of like what that would be a little bit? That is exactly right. There's, there's, it seems like why worry about 418 in a million, how much danger could that possibly pose? But here's why we know it's a danger, because when we bore into old ice fields, and we're going back millions of years with these core samples, we can measure the atmosphere. And we know the last time that this earth had 418 parts per million of carbon was because of a ramping process that took millions of years. And it was, uh, we're not exactly sure, but it was the burning of huge coal deposits that maybe were caused by volcanic reaction and maybe by asteroid impacts. We're not sure. But for whatever reason, giant coal fields, mainly in India, caught fire and burned for thousands, if not millions of years, spewing CO2 into the atmosphere. Well, that took a a while to get that 418 parts per million into the atmosphere. But when it did, the oceans on this planet were 80 feet higher than they are today. Keep that in mind, 80. 80 feet higher means that every coastal city in the United States is underwater. And everybody who lived there is now a refugee. Where are they going? Well, they have to leave. They have to go to a high ground and they're going to they're going to depart. And, and 418 parts per million means no Florida. Right? right. Florida is also gone. And the only reason that the oceans aren't at the same level, 80 feet higher, is because we've done all of this pollution in the last 200 years. 200 years. And it takes a while for everything to catch up. But we're seeing, we're seeing the ice caps melt. You're seeing these giant chunks of Antarctica break off into the ocean. That's yeah. just not an accident. That's because the carbon in the air is trapping the heat and making the planet warm. Right. Now, when they when it gets extracted and it gets captured, this 418 parts per million, I mean, is it is it is it in the current systems, is it stored somewhere? Does it have to be transported somewhere? I mean, how is that is how is that how does that work currently well so currently we're basically just using it for i think i mentioned three three purposes one is fracking yep the other is food products yep and then the other is they simply pipe at places where you've got really really stable rock formations and it turns out that if you pump that co2 deep enough into the right rock formation it turns into a mineral it turns into rock and which is why CO2 does, right. It combines with whatever minerals in the proper formation are down there. It turns into stone. Mm. Very stable. Well, because I would, I, I bet there would be environmentalists who say, and I don't think of myself as an environmentalist. I think of myself as a, as a, as a clean energy enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, so what some environmentalist, I would call myself a clean energy enthusiast uh, they would, so environmentalists would say, well, we're transporting this. Isn't there a risk that it's going to leak 
or it's going to like spill. And then that will be an ecological issue as well. Yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, because you've extracted the CO2 and then you let it get back out. Yeah, yeah, I guess that would be my answer. It's like it's in the air already, right? Like yeah. it's doing damage in the air. Yes, yes, it is. And, I, and I'll point out that, that that very idea of piping at long distances is frankly, that's old school in my view. I mean, it is probably the cheapest way to get rid of it. But the exciting thing is being able to, to do new stuff with it. Whether it's, you can turn it into concrete blocks, for example. I mean, concrete always has a terrible reputation as extremely uh, CO2 intensive activity. I think it has a lot to do with the energy it takes to heat up that material like limestone in order to yeah. dry it, in order to turn it into to cement. Well, uh, if you can take CO2 out of the atmosphere and make concrete blocks out of it, <clears throat> you've really solved several problems. And that's an exciting field. Yeah, I actually have like a, um, I, I think when I was still public counsel, I went somewhere and I got like this, someone was doing this at a trade show, a vial of concrete that had been made from carbon. Ah, still have it. And I was like, well, that seems like kind of like that could be useful. That was, I mean, that was six years ago now. Yeah. I mean, has that, has that technology advanced? Would that technology have advanced in six years or is this still Absolutely. a relatively new technology and we're still figuring it out? Here's the thing that I do, and, and probably because I'm just a geek, but if you just dial in your Google browser and looking for articles about DAC, direct air capture, it's a world of interesting stuff. And, and a lot of it is, is the fact that the world has sort of realized this at the same time. And James, we should talk about this too, because it's not just geeky scientists doing this stuff in laboratories, but the Biden administration, to their credit, as part of their infrastructure bill, got $3.5 billion dollars passed by the House and the Senate, signed by the president, in order to build four regional DAC hubs somewhere. And these are designed to answer some of the very questions you're raising, like, how much does this stuff cost? How does it work? How can we make an improvement? How can we use renewable energy in order to make this process work? So right now, across the country, you've got very powerful interests competing to be one of those four DAC regional hubs. You're hearing it from the East Coast and from the West Coast and from the oil patches and from everybody who's got a lick of sense. They're going, hey, let's divide that up. That's almost $750, $750 million per hub or more. Yeah, more, $800, $800 million per hub average. Why couldn't we have part of that in our part of the country? That's kind of the case I'm making right now. If we're sincere about your efforts to get people using renewable energy and expanding that opportunity, well, then now let's use that to make jobs, because that is what DAC represents, a huge capital investment in our community. We'll make jobs and we'll also help the planet. Is And I suppose the Department of Energy is allocating that money. They are indeed. I yes, wonder, I do wonder, maybe I wonder if because I know that I've heard that there is talk about creating, I know that I have heard, uh, I, I was at a conference in Kansas City and I heard someone talk about a carbon hub in Missouri. Um, that must be what they're talking about. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that would be interesting. Um, yes. So, I mean, yeah, because also what people would say, well, we should just stop burning coal. Exactly. I mean, and I agree with them, but at the same you time, know, we're, we're not 
stopping it yet. <laughs> well, you know, James, your your point's well taken. And and and, us, and if we really had our act together, everybody would just stop dumping as much carbon in the air as they are. But the the problem is stopping the pollution and the lag time is the issue here because we've already got enough carbon in the air right now to cause all of these horrible effects, the rising oceans and the wildfires and the, the killing off of our habitat and our species. All of these effects are already happening today and will only get worse, even if we never put another ounce of carbon into the atmosphere. So that's my point. And that's why countries around the world and technologists are looking at this with, with at the same time horror and the same time potential to see, okay, this is our chance to reverse the problem. So the way I like to explain it to people is that, you know, as an adult, which I am, and as a parent, when a child takes a jug of milk out of the refrigerator and the lid pops off and the milk goes all over the kitchen floor, well, you just pick up the milk jug. Don't, you know, don't worry about anything else right now. Just keep the milk from falling more of it on the floor, right? But then what do you have to do, James? You've got to get on your hands and knees and you've got to clean up that milk because now it's under the refrigerator. It's under the kick space. It's going to smell bad. And that's exactly where we are with renewable energy today. You and us with renewable, I think, have done an astonishing job of making the case that renewable energy is cheap and it's effective and it's good for us. But that is not enough. Now we have to clean up the mess. And yeah, and I, I think that's, I, I think there's a, I mean, to me, I think there's a lot of like kind of gap measurements you've got to do before you stop, you know, before we shut down coal plants. Sure. Starting to accelerate. Um, right. But there's still a lot of resistance to doing that. Um, but so in the meantime, you got to like figure out how you're going to deal with it while you're doing that. Um, you know, yeah. it is. Yeah. And so I get that. Um, but James, you know, can I put in a plug for you? One, one of the things that I have seen, because I've been with Renew for so many years, is that the work that you have done and your staff, you now have the credibility of major institutions in the Midwest. I'm talking about politicians, the people that run the legislative committees, the governor's office, the public service commission, the public council, the, the utilities, the, the major institutions of our country have learned to accept what you say as true and important. And so that, that means that once we, we get our arms wrapped around this DAC thing, I'm confident that you can walk right into these same institutions and say, if you like renewable energy, you're going to love DAC because it's going to bring jobs to Missouri and to the Midwest. And it's going to help solve a problem. Your check's in the mail. For that. Aha. No, uh, good on you, man. Yeah, it would not work. <laughs> If you did not have the credibility of major institutions, this thing wouldn't work. Right. Philip, I hope you're listening. <laughs> nice things are being said about me. Um, yes, I've heard. And I, uh, I will, <laughs> on that note, I will say, I think this is probably the most successful time we've had in the state legislature um, right. since before my time. That's right. You've, you've been with us for a while as a intern, now as a full-time employee. Yeah. I mean, I guess securitization was pretty big too, but... Yeah. Next to that, I would say this is the next biggest, you know, we got two good things across the finish line and nothing bad happened. So I think right. that's pretty awesome. Securitization just happened last year. We were, we're on a roll. Um, and we just had to file uh, testimony on the first coal plant 
closure securitization case that was filed with Liberty uh, to shut down their plant down in Southwest Missouri and uh, face a little bit of resistance from some government offices. So we had to address that. So that got filed today. I, I'm, oh gosh, Philip, I'm time stamping this. Oh, we were talking about how great I was. Why am I getting away from that? I was talking about how good I was. No, uh, <laughs> no, it, listen, it is, it is, look, it is, um, the job that we do, that's the job I do, that Philip does, that everybody else on the team does is not easy. Uh, being clean energy advocates in a, in a pretty red state, a state I love, a state I've lived in most of my life. Uh, but it is, you know, but if it's not going to happen here, if we aren't going to explore every possible option for how to make this work, I mean, yes, all this stuff is going to happen in California and New York and some of these other uh, blue states. But like if it's not happening everywhere, we're in trouble, right? Well, sure. And plus, it's not just that, but it's the fact that the smart money is now buying into renewables because yeah. it's it's it works. And, and if you look at the uh, the sort of what am I thinking of when big corporations have their shareholder meetings, increasingly the shareholders are expressing uh, louder and louder requests that why don't you do something about the climate? And so the major corporations who are the job creators, for the most part, they're looking at Missouri and they're going, what is your mix of renewables to coal? And the more that we are able to offer a better mix of renewables to carbon, the better off we are as far as job creation. Yeah. I mean, James, you're there, man. You're sitting on the same side of big companies now. This is a sea change from what I've seen. You're sitting there with Walmart and yeah. you're sitting there with General Motors. Military. Apple. What's that? <laughs> military. And the military. It, and they're all going with us. Yeah. They're going, what, what is with, with your state? You've really got to get your game up, man. You need more a better renewable mix in order to get our attention, in order to get to put stuff and, and bring jobs to your state. So, so to me, the kind of work you're doing is not adversarial. It's just making sure that the doors are open when people want to bring jobs and opportunities to Missouri. And yeah. they do, but only if they can plug into a renewable grid. Yeah. And the example I, I have to keep sharing is that, you know, Facebook has just announced they're going to open a data center in North Kansas City, data centers that are extremely energy intensive, oh, yeah. a lot of power lot produce a lot of heat they would not agree to build there until evergy the major utility on the western side of the state got approval from the public service commission to sell them nothing but renewable energy yay right that's a big yes. deal yes now, that is a big deal i want to get back to this direct air car uh, capture thing really quick Good. um yes i know we've we've we i know you've got a lot going on and i, I know we've you're running out of our audiences you know they won't only want to listen to like 30 35 minutes of me talking uh -huh. but Okay, so you talk about this other stuff that can be produced with this, uh, plastics, jet fuel. Are we able to do that now, or is that something that we're still yes. trying to figure out? No, that's, that's being done in this very moment. All of that is done, but it's, uh, for the most part, laboratory scale. So yeah. that's where it starts. I mean, that's where battery technology, that's where solar tech, that's where every important technology starts. I mean, quantum communications and all the cool stuff that we're looking at, AI starts with some brainy graduate students and their oversight professor cooking up this stuff. And then if it has a promise, then it gets commercialized. And, mm -hmm. and there's an urgency to this that countries around the world 
are really into. And I, and, and I just tell people, look, you got a computer, just bang that right into Google, say DAC direct air capture. And wow, up it comes a whole plethora of, of articles and stories and, and uh, discussions about the importance of DAC from around the world. So look, this is not going away. And the question is, I, I would pose the same question to you, James, is that you're not new to this idea of walking into an office and asking people to do something they're not familiar with, like like power your facility with solar. They right. go, I've never done it. I don't understand it. How does it work? And you have to start small. You know, you don't, you don't want to try and do something that you're not comfortable with, but that's where the laboratory work begins. And that's where my argument with DAC, James, is that the build out <clears throat> will cost trillions of dollars. And that's what the smart money says. We will spend trillions of dollars on DAC, but not today, not tomorrow, not next year. We start small, proof of concept, organizing right. people, talking to the engineers, the laboratories, the students who are looking for a job where they can make a difference in the world. We're talking to labor unions. We're talking to uh, organizations that set and write laws like the legislature, county commissions, planning and zoning boards, all of these guys, everybody's got to get involved in this effort. And once we get a clearer understanding about how this is really an opportunity, not for us necessarily, but for our kids yeah. who, who don't deserve to be punished by us because of our neglect, they need to have a world that's as beautiful as ours. And the way we do it is by cleaning up the mess. Yeah. And that's called yeah. the yeah. Um, so, I mean, we have a lot of work to do. So yes, we have a lot of work now. Now, Philip, um, you know, I know we've kind of talked about this briefly, but um, kind of in, in context of some of the federal legislation you and I are working on. Uh, do you have any questions for Dan? Like, does anything strike you that you like about this concept that you want to ask about? No, not at this time, but I only am thinking that way because the budget lines I've looked at make it where it'd be really hard specifically for co-ops to be able to um, use the limited funding to close a, a plant and invest and that kind of an effort. So unless there is a larger pool of funding for them to do, you know, carbon sequestration type of activities uh, with plant closures, I don't think we'll see that at least from the co-ops um, I mean, unless it's that a, goes up. Yeah. It's a scalability issue right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. we, we know that it's very difficult to to go board to board and city to city, because when I was on, as you pointed, the, the uh, city council of Springfield, Missouri, we own and operate our own utility. Right. And so you're not under the purview of the Public Service Commission because we are our utilities operated by citizen boards. And I was on that board as well for six years. So I get it. I see that happens. But I will say it, it's a very difficult challenge to go to every municipal utility, whether they're 80 in Missouri and a bunch yeah, of other, about yeah yeah and they all have their own independent boards and they all have you know their own regional perspective on things so that's very very difficult work but I will say James you have you have kind of you know you've started working on that because you've been lining up some monies to help make that argument for for rural cooperatives that renewables make sense for you yeah. and you know as you look across the landscape and you see rural areas depopulating and people just leaving. Yeah. And you realize, well, wh where are the kids? Where'd they go? Uh, oh, well, they went to Chicago or they went to New York or they went someplace where they, you know, can enjoy whatever it is that a big city yeah. has to offer. How do you get them back? And sometimes you get them back by showing, hey, we understand 
what the issue is with the climate and we're going to work on it. And that's how you get the kids to come back. And I think from what I understand, the majority of people who in this country, my age, old, uh, who, who have this perspective that we should do something about the climate and we should use renewables are getting that message from their kids. Yeah. The kids are coming home from college and they're going, dad, what the hell are you doing? Are you in this or not? Are you going to be part of this effort? Are you just going to sit on the sidelines? And that kind of pressure from children and grandchildren is causing a sea change, at least in my experience, from people who otherwise we go, well, I'm busy. It's too complicated. I don't want to think about it. But my son tells me, and he's got this degree, fancy pants degree in biology. He's going, he's going, dad, get with it. And that is driving change. And that happens in rural areas as, as well as yeah. any place. I mean, I, I kind of get on this tangent every once in a while, but I go home. I'm from, you know, kind of on the other side of Greene County from you over in Webster County. And there's no one my age, and I'm not young anymore. There's no one my age there. There's no one younger than me there. There's no kids there. You go to school districts around the state in rural areas that have whole grades that are empty. There's no kids to teach in like, like certain grades it is and i always ask what do you think is going to happen out here uh-huh. like, and i don't no one really seems to have an answer but it, it does seem to me that like being able to change how we you know the kind of technology and innovation that we're doing and finding new industries is going to be the only way to do it because so the old Jay, industries are not coming back you're right so so you know the politics of our era are driven by major issues one of them is immigration yeah that we like to say well this is my state this is my city this is my street and and i like it just the way it is i, I don't want people coming in here barging in on my life and making my life complicated right that that is a major political issue that resonates across lots and lots of lists of boundaries and it's a big deal in this country well to keep that in mind 418 418 means over time, and it's not that far away, Florida disappears. Baltimore, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Houston, New Orleans, all of them yeah. gone, all of them yeah. underwater. And everybody that lived there, they've got a suitcase in each hand and they got a kid on the shoulders. And they're walking if they don't have a car or they're driving. And you know where they're going? <clears throat> high ground. What is the high ground? It's called the Ozarks. Yeah. It's an example. And so people go, oh, I'm so worried about, about immigration and people showing up here that I don't know. Well, you better get with it. You better start thinking about when those oceans rise up and they come up the Mississippi River Valley and Cape Girardeau is an oceanfront town, which it will be, then all of those millions of refugees, friend, are going someplace. They're going to high ground. They're coming here. Is that what you want? I've told a number of, of Missouri lawmakers that the one issue that they should be worried about that they're not worried about is climate refugees coming. Yeah, out. climate. Exactly, James. No, climate no. refugees. They got to come. Some, they're Americans. You can't yeah. build a wall to keep Americans out of Missouri. They can come here if they want. And they are coming here yeah. because yeah. those major cities are underwater. They got to go somewhere. I mean, really, this is just common sense. If, and you got to look ahead a few years, which you're very good at. Your organization is very good at looking at ahead a couple of years and going, well, what do we do now to avoid a problem in the future? Yeah. And you believe that this direct air capture could be oh, yeah. one of those oh, yeah. solutions. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, here's the thing. DAC is like putting a fire extinguisher in your house, right? Because you go, uh, I don't plan on having a fire in my house. <laughs> I've never had a fire in my house. Are you kidding? Yeah. 
why should I spend $25 at Lowe's to buy a fire extinguisher? That's just a waste of money. It could be buying an ice cream cone. But we do it because we know if a fire gets started, it sure is a great thing to have a fire extinguisher and put right. it out rather than see your house burned down. And DAC is exactly that. If we come to our senses tomorrow and we all start using renewable energy and we stop the pollution of the atmosphere, fine. But look, if that doesn't work, we're spending a little bit of money on DAC right now. And we try to, we kind of like it like you would a child. You, you nurture it. You, you encourage it. You see what it grows into. You, you give it your best effort and see if this might be the thing like a fire extinguisher that helps put out the fire that the planet is suffering from. That's my whole point. At this point, it's not even a lot of money. I mean, three and a half billion dollars to get this thing kicked off and going. And if that's a rounding error in, in, in the U.S. budget. And, it's and, and, and compared to the damage that's going to be done if we don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know, man. I, I'm awfully excited about it. You can tell I'm passionate about it. And I, because I, I've been in manufacturing, that's my whole life, 35 years of making stuff. Yeah. When I went to the Manufacturers Association in Springfield, gave them this little presentation about DAC, they all go like, dude, eyes got big. They go, what? Steel erection? Concrete? Chemical factories? Uh, labor unions having jobs? Engineers doing all this work? I go, yeah, that's what it is. It's big. It's a jobs program of a scale that no one has ever seen before. And that reminds me, you are going to be talking about this in front of the Springfield City Council, are you not? <laughs> I am indeed. Yes. On June seventh. Well, I think so. That's what you're <laughs> June seventh at two thirty yeah. on the fourth floor of the Bush Municipal Building there at the corner of Central and Boonville. Yes. Going, lo going local for my Springfield people, <laughs> um, and you are going to be talking to the Springfield City Council. Right. Uh, and kind of discussing this topic. And that's open to the public, yeah? That's right. Okay. Well, we'll so make sure. They go, yeah, let's talk about this. And I'm going, I'm ready. I got a PowerPoint presentation that moves at the speed of light. It's colorful. It's fast. It's funny. No one goes to sleep. I've seen it. I didn't fall asleep. Good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so we will make sure that we get that Um we will get that promoted in the email that goes out about this. Uh, Dan Childs, again, how do people get like where they want to do the B Foster thing? They want to buy that uh, that uh, that product you're selling. How do they do that again? Oh, it's bfoster.com. Like B, B Foster. B E E Foster. Right. Right. And do you have anything else to pitch? Hey, I am so thrilled that you called and asked me to be part of this. I just think this is an amazing thing. And when my kids get kind of crabby about adults not doing a damn thing about saving this plan. I say, Hey, I'm part of renew Missouri and have been for a long time and I love it. And I feel like we're making a big difference. So thanks you, James, yeah. Philip, and all the rest of your, your fine crew for making this effort and, and having me as a part of it. So that means listeners give us money <laughs> to have money to run this. Yeah. Um, we will be sending out our summer mailer here in a couple of weeks. So we and will. It's going to uh, be beautiful. Oh, it's going to look good. Oh yeah. It's going to be good. Hot yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, so Dan, thank you. Thank you for making this the best job I've ever had. Oh, uh, well, because great. by the way, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, okay. I know Philip knows I don't like the timestamp these things. But I think today, this is the 27th of May, we're going to send this out, I think, on June 2nd. 27th of May, is, I think, is my five-year anniversary of working here. Wow. I think I've been here five years today. Wow. Wow. 
That is very cool. That's man. crazy. <laughs> How has that happened? I think this you need like, a gold watch. No, this wait, is like the second longest job I've ever kept. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're good uh, at it. That's why. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't believe that you've, you've kept me this long. Um, <laughs> no, that's yeah. So we've been working on this for five years and Philip's been there for uh, you know, he was uh, on board before I got here. Same with Andrew. We've we've had new people added since then. Uh, we've lost people that we've added since then. Um, but it's been great. Yes. So thanks for that. It has been great. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. If you like what you hear, uh, be sure to subscribe to this on all major podcast platforms. Leave a review. Uh, you know, bump help us bump this up. Share this on your social media pages. On behalf of Renew Missouri, this is James Owen uh, thanking all of you for listening and to remind you to take care of yourself and each other. Take care until next time.